Give me a little nerves here. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. Uh, God, you're good to us. You're gracious, God. Lord, uh, I'm astonished at your work, guys. To take a little boy from Cleveland, Ohio, grew up in a single-parent household, Lord. Grew up a Muslim, didn't know Jesus. To take me, change my life, redeem me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Give me a new family, God, that would teach me your ways, that would teach me your word, Father. And God, now I get to stand here, Lord, before them, my family, Lord, and preach your word. God, I'm honored at this privilege, God. I pray, Lord, that your word, Lord, would do what it does, Lord, never come back void. It would change the hearts of men and women in this room. Father, I pray, God, that you would uh, bring joy to the hearts of those who are just feeling low, God, Lord. I pray that you would bring those who are haughty, Lord. I, would, I pray that you would bring them down, God. God. God, humble me. Allow this not to be an exercise in my own vanity, Lord. But let me preach, thus saith the Lord today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Man, I was hoping that the, the worship team would uh, play a little uh, Sam Cooke. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> Because uh, it has been. Um, some of y'all probably don't see me up here very often because I'm usually not up here. Um, uh, my name is Mo. I'm one of the pastors of Cornerstone Church. I'm actually the pastor of administration. And so one of the things I get, I get the pleasure of doing, I get to serve with these men right here, John, Tripp, and Richard. And so it's a pleasure to get to serve with these brothers. But even it's a pleasure right now to just get to open up God's word with you guys. And so one of the things that we've been going through, we've been going through this pillar series. And so pillars, that's what it really is. It's, it's what holds up the church. It's what we desire to see happen in the life of this church. And so one of the things I get to do, I get to close out this series. Amen? All right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but I get to talk about a subject that's really dear to me, that's close to me, and that subject is about leadership. So the, the title of my sermon is Defining Leadership. Now, I'm not just talking about leadership like just what the Bible says about leadership. Yeah, I'm going to do that. But one of the things I am going to do is also talk about leadership that defines the church. Amen? All right. John told you I'm going to need some help up in here. Uh, we're going to focus on talking about leadership that defines the church. What does leadership look like in the church? What's the difference between leadership in the world and leadership in the church? I think that's very important for us to discuss today. Amen? And so I remember when I was a child, uh, let me just get to bring you into my world. When I was a child, I, I grew up a single-parent household. I prayed about that. But one of the things that I, I grew up with a mother that, that grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. See, my mother, she, she spent most of her life in Cleveland, Ohio, where I'm from. But, but she always had these southern sayings. You know what I'm saying? She always had something to say, these one-liners. And so I remember we would be running around the house. We'd be really loud. And my mom would say things like this. I, don't want, I want to hear a rat pee on cotton. I'm like, Mom, what's that? Where were you at when you heard a rat pee on cotton, mama? Like, where were you at, mama? And, 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 and it's not just, she had a whole bunch of other stuff. Let me give a few, uh, give me a few more uh, since I got y'all. <laughs> so one of the other things my mama used to tell, uh, tell us, when we were just like, I would go, y'all see, I'm a, I'm a KB uh, toy store brother. You know what I'm saying? Before all these big Walmarts and uh, Targets and all the KB toys, Kitty City, Children's Palace. And so we used to go into those stores. And we used to go in those stores and ask and beg and beg my mother for toys. And one of the things she used to tell us, you ain't too grown for your wants to hurt. And I'm like, what does that mean, mom? I'm six years old. 
I don't want to hurt. I think that meant a whooping, but that's what I thought it meant. I keep begging. I didn't know what it meant. But one of the things that she did tell me, something that's very familiar to all of us, I think that if I, if I share this with you, you're probably like, man, I've heard that before. My mom used to tell me this. She said, Mo, be a leader, not a follower. Amen? So y'all, y'all, y'all have heard that before. Amen. But see, now, and I don't make no sense totally because one of the things I know, in some part of my life, I have to follow, right? Amen. But what I took from it as I grew up and as I, as I came to know the Lord is that my, my mother was saying, don't let the way the world defines leadership define you. Amen? Don't let people define you. And so one of the things I think is important is that when we talk about leadership in the church is we really got to define what that is. I don't think it's something that we can just sit here and just say, hey, I think leadership is this. I think leadership is that. There are a lot of books written on leadership. Amen? I could probably sit up here and read a book by uh, Robert Covey or I could read a book by uh, John Maxwell and and just read it from cover to cover. Y'all probably would benefit from it. But, but the problem is, is that that's not all the Bible says about leadership. If I, if I screamed out, what, who's a leader that you, that you really respect? Some people would say uh, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, you probably would say Steve Jobs. You say, what are some tasks that leaders do? You would say setting goals, uh, casting vision, some of those big things we know that leaders do. But I would say that's not, that's, that's, that's not all that a leader does. And that's not how the Bible defines leadership. Amen. So when I was a young Christian, I came to this text. It was 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse, uh, well, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 through uh, 7. And it says this. Why don't you read along with me? I'll read and you follow. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. This is what he says at the end. Think it over. What I, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Amen. So one of the things that I, I realize is that this, this verse is just coming out of nowhere. You're saying, like, what, what, what's the context behind this verse? So let me give you a little bit of the context behind this. I, I, we need to know the relationship between Tim, Timothy, or Tim, my boy Tim, and Paul. Uh, the relationship between those two is Paul was, was, was Tim, Timothy's spiritual father. He was a spiritual daddy. As a young kid, Paul visited his hometown, preached the gospel. Timothy got saved. And Timothy and him uh, uh, created a, a strong bond, a strong relationship, so much so that Paul would take him on missionary trips with him. And, and, and he would take him to place to place and preach the gospel, modeling to him what leadership looked like. So one of the things that's unique about uh, uh, their, their story is that one day they, they end up in this big city. And, and Paul pretty much says, Timothy, you're going to pastor this church here in this big city. This young 30-year-old man, he's like, hey, brother, there's things going on in this church. You need to pastor these people. And Timothy's like, ah, I guess he said, I don't know. I don't know what he said, but he's like, okay. Um, it's his leader, Tim, uh, Paul. And so one of the things you would notice about 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy is one, one of the unique sections is, is that uh, it was written to give instructions to Timothy about pastoring. Amen? So if you read First uh, Timothy, you'll see he's, he's, he's talking to Timothy about a whole bunch of issues. A whole bunch of things that are going along are going on in that church, and one of them happens to be leadership. He had to set things right. He had to place people in leadership or, or have the church choose their leaders or help them in that process. 
But in 2 Timothy, you understand that there were some things going on. There was persecution going on during, during this time. Paul was actually in jail when he wrote this letter to his son Timothy. Paul, it, it was Paul's last letter in the New Testament that he just wrote to his son Timothy. So I think that context says a lot. That whatever is about to be said has to be pretty important. He's not saying things for his own health. He's saying things to his spiritual son who's a young leader, who's pastoring the church, who needs some help. And so when we talk about uh, the relationship, we got to realize that this is something that's very dear and near to Timothy. So these words should be near and dear to us because Paul is giving his last, in other words, statement about what it is to lead a church. They're being persecuted. Timothy was facing that threat as well. Persecution, death he was facing. Paul knew that that at this time in his life, he might have escaped death once before, but not this time. Paul spends the first chapter in light of this uh, context of, of persecution and being in jail, just encouraging Timothy about his own situation. It's amazing that Paul has, takes the time in even the book of Philippians, which Pastor uh, uh, Tripp, I'm not Pastor Tripp, but uh, Pastor uh, uh, Richard preached uh, a few, uh, a few uh, mo- uh, weeks back. He said that the context is Paul was in jail, but he got out of jail. But in this time, Paul knew he wasn't getting out of jail. He was facing death. So the whole first chapter, talking about what it means to, to suffer for Jesus, Paul was encouraging his dear brother. So here's the thing, church. I feel like the biggest problem that we have in the church is the misunderstanding of what leadership is. I, I really believe that. I, I think we don't have the right idea of what leadership is. And, I, and let me just build my argument here. First of all, I think all of us would say, at a, uh, even if you raise your hands, that leadership is vital. Why, 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 why is leadership, why would I say that? Just look at this past election. Look at this past election. What did we see? We had two candidates and everybody was trying to say, one of the biggest arguments was, was this leader better fit to lead than this other leader, right? Amen? Most of us, uh, most of us spent our time with saying, this, this candidate is not a good leader, so they shouldn't lead our country, right? So we say leadership is vital. We think it's important because we would say, hey, I, I want this person to lead me, not this person. Man, look at debates. If you look at even the context of what debates do, debates are just saying, hey, it's just an argument between two people who are saying, I can lead better than you. I can lead better than you. No, I can lead better than you. No, no, actually, I can lead better than you. This is why I am a better leader than you. That's what debates are. And so that's where, that's where, that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves trying to figure out what is leadership in the church and why is leadership important in the church. First of all, I'll say this. Uh, another part of my argument would be like, everybody wants to be led. Some of y'all be like, I don't want to be led. I'll lead myself. No, you won't. <laughs> everybody wants to be led. There's not one person that wouldn't probably give money to spend with uh, 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 Bill Gates or somebody like that, like a Warren Buffett, to learn and sit under them, to just hear their thoughts and how to invest their money. Most of us would even just sit under somebody that we feel like is in our field and that we want to be like at some, to some degree, right? If you're a singer, you'll be like, hey, I want to sit under Beyonce. If I had a chance, if I was a singer, I could sit under Beyonce. Boy, I would, get, I would do it. I'm like, I can't sing, but y'all don't want to do that. Beyonce be like, boy, you ain't called. Um, say, you ain't called, brother. But I think the problem is, is when we look at leadership, we, 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 we love those characteristics. We like visionaries. 
We love visionaries. We love people who can put together a, a strategic plan. Uh, we love somebody who can cast this big vision. I'm telling you, sometimes I hear people, I remember I, I got to hear Jesse Jackson speak one time when I was in college. And, you know, I, I was one of those hard brothers, like, he ain't going to get me to say I, I am somebody. You know, he used to always say that when he used to come by. He's like, he ain't going to get me to do that. Man, by the end of that month, I was like, I am somebody. I am somebody. You somebody, too. You somebody. I was tripping. I was tripping. The reality is we want charismatic leaders. I praise God we got John, who's the lead pastor of this church. Because if it was me, man, I'll tell you the truth, boy. Mm-mm. <laughs> we want leaders that create programs for us that, that fit our own desires. But the context of, of, of the, what the Bible teaches about leadership, leadership is not about those things. Those things are good things. They're not bad things. But leadership, when you look in the Bible, there were people who were called by God, who were devoted to God for his purposes. Amen? So in my little bit of time I have left, I'm just going to share with you three points, three simple points. I'm going to show, I think this text will, will define what leadership looks like in the church and why it's important when we're even looking for churches, even when we're looking to join churches, to find leaders and be part of church with leaders who are like this. But also, I think this is not just about leaders. Even though this is a, a pastoral epistle, I think this can apply to us as everyday Christians as well. So my three points are this, the strength of a leader, the work of a leader, and the life of a leader. So let's look at the first uh, verse. I love this. It's the strength of the leader. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But I love it because when you look at that you then, he's talking about the things that happened before that verse. Well, Paul's talking about, man, how he wants Timothy to share in, in, in his suffering as a, as a good servant of Jesus Christ. He wants him to, to preach the gospel, not to be ashamed of the gospel. He wants him to, to be there with him and, and to fight for, the, fight for the faith. But I love the second part of this. He's saying, my child. My child, it's, I love the, one of the things I know about leadership that's a mark of a leader is the affection of the people that they lead, right? You want a leader that has a sincere affection for you. You don't want a leader that's distant and cold, right? You want a leader that loves on you, cares for you, that spends time with you. And so this is what the context of their relationship. Paul is leading Timothy. But it says, the next part says, be strengthened. Be strengthened. I think it's important to notice something about this, that Paul does not tell him, hey, work hard, brother. Develop your skills. Get your ducks in a row. Develop a strategic plan. Become an administrative beast. <laughs> okay, that's me. I mean, come on. <laughs> Amen. All right. I'm a good administrator. Thank you. I mean, I hope I, hope I am. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Tripp. He's my encouragement today. Um, but the reality is he's telling them to find strength. And the importance of this word is this, is that one, it's in the present imperative. That means it is a command. He's telling Timothy that if you're going to find strength, you, you, you've, got to, you've got to know that I'm not asking. I'm telling you to find strength. Also, it's a, it's a present imperative. That means it's an ongoing action. He said, be strengthened. Continue to find strength. I think it's important for a leader to realize that we continue to have to find strength, but he gives a, a location for that strength. It's not a strength that is within himself because it's also in the passive tense. That he says it's not a strength that comes from you or it's come from you exuding human energy. It comes from outside of you. It's something that you need to continue to ask for, continue to find, but it's something that's outside. And where is that strength? It's found where? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I think it's important to realize that we find strength in the gospel. 
Some of us, we really believe that the gospel is just for salvation, and it is. So if you look at Ephesians 2, 8, it says, for by grace you have been saved. Romans 1.16, it says what? It says that we, hear, we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto what? Salvation. And so when we look at that, we understand the gospel is about salvation. There's two works of grace, though, that I think it's important for us to understand. The other work of grace is for the empowerment to live for Jesus. Let me read this verse in 1 Corinthians 15.10. It says, but by grace of God, I am what I am. This is Paul talking. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, listen to this, but it's, it's the grace of God that is within me. The power of the gospel enables us to do the things that we cannot do. Now, I know that might sound weird. That might sound kind of mystical because it somewhat is. <laughs> The reality is, is that rehearsing the gospel, understanding the gospel, where your motivation come, can come from is not through your own effort and your human strength. That God gives strength. See, the thing I love about grace, because grace is a gift. It's not something that we are owed to. God doesn't owe us strength. He gives strength as a free gift to us. And I think it's important, Christian, and even when we look at leadership, where are our leaders being strengthened? Are our leaders spending time with Jesus? Are they reminding themselves of the power of the gospel? Is the gospel empowering the work that they're doing? When I get up here and preach, I'm not going to preach. In, I don't want to preach in human effort. The reality is that we have to preach by the power of God's grace. And so when we look at the, the next part of this, uh, and we, we see that the fact is, is that the gospel, yes, we have to depend upon it for power, but the next part is going to be the work. And so the first number one thing I want to say about strength is this, is that the strength of a leader is a dependence on the power of the gospel working in and through us to accomplish his purposes. But, but you got to ask yourself one question. If God's going to give strength, he's got to give it for a reason, right? So why would God give us strength? I think it's important to realize that God has work for us to do. That's why we'll go to the work of a leader. Verse 2, it says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let me, let me tell you something right now. If this, just this passage was a song, this would be the hook. Amen? So, you know, the thing that, that is meditating, that, that kind of runs the theme of the song, this is the hook of it. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What he's trying to communicate and what he's trying to say is that this is the work I'm empowering you to do. It's the ministry of the word. So so we got to investigate this just maybe a little bit because Paul's saying what you've heard from me. And what you've heard from me, what what did Timothy hear from Paul? He spent all this time with Paul, making missionary trips and doing all those things with Paul. So if you look in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul tells Timothy to follow his sound words in the faith of Christ Jesus. Uh, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, follow my teaching, my faith. Verse 14 in this chapter, it says, continue in what, I have, what, what you have learned and firmly believe that, uh, what, in what I've taught you. And even when Paul goes to the Corinthian church, he tells them, I, 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 pass, I pass on to you of, 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 of first importance, the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. So the message and the work that we have and, and the thing that, that God is giving Timothy, the thing he said, I'm asking you to entrust to others, the thing that you've heard from me is the gospel, it's the word of God. Now that might sound so simple and elementary, but I think that's, it, it is. 
I think sometimes in the church, we minimize the power of God's word in, in, in the way it, it, it should empower us, but yes, change our lives. I think, you, I think we gather together on, on a Sunday morning thinking we're just here to have good relationships and good friends. But no, we, we gather together on Sunday morning to hear God's word, to fellowship around God's word. So the, so the Bible will be preached, that we will learn, that we would grow. Here's the thing. Even in chapter uh, uh, 3, Paul just goes in and says, in verse 16 and 17, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed out by God. I mean, it's all breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Think about it. The man of God will be complete for every good work. Think about this. He's saying the Word of God is the road to Christian maturity. I'm going to be honest with you, there is no growth for a Christian without the Word of God. There is no no, no spiritual growth in the church without the Word of God. Any church that's void of the Word is no church at all. It's important to realize that the Word of God is central to what we do. It's why we exist. Even what uh, uh, John said earlier, we're only family because the Word was preached to us, the gospel was preached to us, it changed everything, and now we can call each other family. The reason why this crowd is diverse, the reason we can sit next to black and white people, and we can sit to Mexicans, and we can sit to Latinos or anybody else, is because the word of God was preached to us. The reason why there's reconciliation in the body is because of one thing, is because the word of God was preached to us. The gospel was preached to us. So that's why preaching and teaching of the word of God is central to the church. We have to realize that it's central to everything we do. Let me ask you something, church, family. What would it be like if that was the center of this church right here? Tell me that. What would it be like if everything we do was centered around God's word? Well, at least we would bring it up. How would conversations change from just the game or, girl, that show was dope. Um, this is us. I'm talking about that show. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all, y'all, y'all love it. But one of the things I know that's true is that what would have changed if that discussion from, oh, this is us, it was such a great show, I cried tonight, would it change up, hey, girl, what you, what you reading in God's Word? What if that conversation changed a little bit? I see you can't talk about the show. I'm just saying, how about we talk about something different at, at some point? If your relationships are always talking about just the things like, hey, you know, let's go hang out, let's go have fun together, let's do these things, which are really important things, but they never center around the Word of God. There's never encouragement from the Word of God. There's nothing about your relationship that is centered on God and His Word, then something might be a little wrong with that relationship. Something might be wrong with that relationship. I think the reality is, is that we have to realize that without God's Word, then this church wouldn't exist. This church would not exist. See, the problem is, is that we want this church to grow numerically. That's not what God wants. He wants people to, he does want it. Let me not be wrong about that. But what he wants is gospel growth in people's hearts. He wants people's lives to be changed by the gospel. Let me read a verse. Let me read this verse again because I think it's important. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Reproof, that means a scolding. The word of God needs to scold some of us, doesn't it? Some of us aren't just living the way we're supposed to live. We know we're supposed to live according to what the Scriptures teach. And some of us need the Word of God to be scolded. It's for correction, but it's also for training in righteousness so that we would become more like Jesus. I think it's important to understand that we, if we were going to be mature, 
then we need the Word of God. But I think it's also one of the important things that we need to open ourselves out up to the Word of God. I know most of us have struggled with sin or some sort of sin. I think the importance of this is that we need to be, when we're struggling with sin, we need to tell somebody yes. But another thing is we need to be open up to the correction of God's Word. Now, now I'm not talking about a callous correction. I ain't talking about like, man, well, that's sin. You need to repent. I'm talking about like, brother, let me show you in Scripture. But that is sin. But guess what? The good news is that Jesus loves you, calling people back to the gospel, the affection that God, despite you are a sinner, that God still loves you and still wants you and accepts you. Amen? So the word of God is central to Christian maturity. It's central to the leadership that Paul is telling Timothy he needs to have. It's central to the, to the leadership. If we, weren't, if we stopped preaching God's word, y'all need to leave this church in droves. If you stop hearing us say, hey, well, we're not going to open, if you say, hear us say, we're not going to open up the Bible today, I would ask all of y'all to stand up and leave. Because it's that important to the life of the church. Amen. So let me just uh, put in just a little cap on this. So the work of a leader is to share the word of, of, with others who will in turn show, share the word with others. This is why he says what? That they must be able to teach. He says that's why they must be faithful, and they must be able to teach. Faithful just means they're loyal. They're loyal. They're steadfast. The, look, God wants us to know that this, the word of God and the gospel is something that we get to steward. It's our responsibility, y'all. It's not something just, it's not something, just, just something that we, we just toss around, but it's something that's powerful. If we believe the word of God changes people's lives, and we get to steward this gospel, then what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Who are you sharing with? Who are you opening up the Bible with regularly? It's important to know when you give counsel, are you just giving good advice? Or are you opening up the Bible and saying, this is what thus saith the Lord? We need people who will be able to teach others. That means it's important to come to Bible study. It's important to come join a, a Bible-believing church. I'm going to put a plug in for us because I believe that's where we are. You've just been hanging out there and not joining. And we need you to come and be a member of our church because, one, there's responsibility when you join. When, we, when you join this church, we say that you're responsible for the other person that's sitting next to you that's a member. That you have a responsibility to, to share the word of God with them in some form or fashion. Now, everybody can't share the word of God with everybody. We understand that. That's not practical. But the reality is, is that we need people in this church that feel that responsibility. When we see sin, I had a sister come up to me. I ain't going to say her name, but she's a good friend of mine. And she saw me do something sinful. I was a little bit hard on my son. I remember when she came to me and she was like, Mo, the Bible teaches that don't, don't chastise your son. Because he will lose encouragement. And when she said that to me, I was broken up because I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And so when the word is spoken to me, there's supposed to be a response to the word. And that's repentance. How often have you been confronted with God's word and had to turn away from your sin and back to God? Is that a regular occurrence in your life when you're sharing the word with one another that there's active repentance in the church? That's a mark of the word of God taking root in the church, but also there's active encouragement. God desires that the Word of God would give us encouragement. I'm taking a long time on this because it's that important. 
It says, see to it that none of you have sinful, unbelieving hearts turning away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. I can't keep walking as a Christian if I don't have other Christians encouraging me with God's word, telling me that God still loves me, that he wants me in spite of my sin, that he's going to accept me. If I repent of my sin and turn away from my sin, he loves me that much that he went to the cross and died for me. This is important to that message. It gives encouragement. It gives power for me to live this Christian life. I need to hear that message. That's why y'all might see me. Sometimes I'm just bawling out in the front. Because I remember what God did for me. I know what he pulled me from. Y'all might see a brother in a sweater up here, but I mean, I ain't always been like this. I was a Muslim. I was living apart from God. I believed in Allah's God. I prayed five times a day. I observed Ramadan. I had ambitions of going over to, to the Middle East to take a Hajj to Mecca. How in dear life could God change a person who was so devout to a false God and change his heart? It's by the power of his word. My story is that I opened up God's word. Amen. My, my story is that I opened up God's word, and when I opened up God's word, he convicted me of my sin. I saw God for who he was, and I rejoiced in the beauty of God. How merciful he is, how loving he is, how gracious, gracious he is. So we've got the responsibility, church. God has given us his work, and the work is that we would share the gospel with one another. That's our job, to share the word of God, to encourage one another, to rebuke one another, to correct one another with the word of God. It's important that we do so. So one of the things that I think Paul does with this text, and I love it, he gives us the power and the strength that we need to do this work, which is sharing the word of God, the ministry of the word to one another. He does both of those things. He gives us the power and he gives us the ministry, but also he shows you what this life is going to look like. So when look, in verse 3 through 6, he's going to kind of spell out and color, give a little bit more color to what that life is going to look like. And it says this in verse 3 and 4. Well, he gives a analogy of a soldier. He says this. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. First of all, I read the first few uh, words of that. I said, share in the suffering. Uh-uh. That ain't me. If you know Mo. I, I play it safe. I'm risk management. That's my name. That's my nickname. You ain't going to get it. Hey, but I say, Paul Rear knows. I don't, I play it safe. And when you talk about suffering, don't nobody want to suffer. I, you got to be a weird person that want to suffer. I'm not trying to be funny about it. I'm not trying to be cruel. But nobody wants to suffer. But here's the thing I love about this and I hate about this. One, it's a command. He's saying share in suffering. It's a command. It's an imperative. It's not your choice. If you are going to have the ministry of the word and you're going to proclaim Jesus, there will be suffering for the Christian. We have to realize that this is part of the lot. Even Jesus said it. He says, look, he says, you have to bear your cross. You have to bear your cross. Pick up your cross daily and deny yourself if you want to be my disciple. He said, in this life, there will be tribulations. There will be trouble if you, if, you, if you dedicate your lives to me. 
Paul even shared about his sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30. He said, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been robbed. No food, no shelter. My friends even turned their backs on me. Come on, Paul. I don't want none of that. No, I don't. I mean, seriously. Who does? But see, here's the thing. I think we think of that suffering as that, well, man, that's not possible, Mo, in this country. And maybe it's not. A lot of that may be not. We're not going to get beaten because we proclaim Jesus. But some of us might lose friends. That's the suffering we do sometimes. I ain't going to lie. It's hard when you, your friend is sitting there and they're saying something about Jesus and you're just sitting there quiet and you're kind of like, man, I understand your point. But then you try to, hey, gently and lovingly correct them and say something to them about what they just said. And then they're like, well, you're just intolerant. I can't stand your position. You, you hate everybody. You just want to be exclusive. And I'm just like, well, I'm not saying that. Jesus is for everybody. I'm saying that. But you're thinking I'm saying Jesus ain't for everybody. And so one of the things you'll see is that that's, that's, that's just a conflict that we have. Sometimes we have to quit jobs that compromise our beliefs. Sometimes we have to see loved ones die apart from Christ. That's a suffering that that only Christians know. Think about that. No one else in this world gets concerned from somebody's eternal destination like Christians do. No religion, even, even Islam, though you can take your shahada, you can say all that stuff, there's no guarantee because you're living by scales. But for a Christian, seeing people die away apart from Christ is one of the most difficult things in the world. And it might also mean by moving places for the name of Jesus, places that are hard, places that are difficult. The good news is that we get to share in this suffering together. That's why I said share in this suffering. Paul is sharing in his suffering. We all get to do this together. The Bible's not calling us to suffer in isolation. That's why it's so beautiful that we have a family that we get to suffer and share in the sufferings. I love the fact that people pray for my mother to come to know Jesus. That know my, my heart for my daddy who doesn't know Jesus as well. Having Paul Rear pray for me one day was a blessing to me because he, he encouraged me, man. I know he can know Jesus. I need people to help me and pray for those who don't know Jesus. But also it says, as a good soldier, suffer, share the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. What does a good soldier do? A good soldier fights. I'm going to be honest with you. If I see a soldier and he ain't fighting, then I'm running the other way. You ain't protecting me. If a soldier is not fighting, they're not doing their job, right? So what is he talking about sharing? Uh, what is he talking about fighting for? I think that's a great language that he's using, but what does he mean? What are we fighting for, Christian? First of all, we're fighting for the truth of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through, uh, 3 through 5, he uses, he uses this statement that our weapons are spiritual, Weapons, not weapons of the flesh, but those weapons are used for to what? To what? To, 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 to fight against those who deny Christ. That's what our weapons are for. He says those people who have lofty opinions that set themselves against Jesus and the message of the gospel, we fight with spiritual weapons. We're fighting for our faith. And first of all, I want you to understand, like, it's important to realize this because the casualties of this warfare are not just, hey, these, these little, 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 in, in, little, little things. But the casualties of this warfare are people's souls and people's lives. I spent my whole ministry career trying to teach people how to share the gospel when I, when I served with crew. The reason why? Because I understood the fight that we were in. 
I understood that people needed to know how to share the gospel and tell people about Jesus because people were dying and going to hell every day. Does that reality soak in your mind? Do you realize that you're a fight? If a soldier realizes he's not in a fight, he doesn't realize he's in a conflict, that soldier will die. That soldier will be ineffective. The reality, we need to understand that we are in a world war, a spiritual warfare against those things that would set themselves up against, about, against the knowledge of Jesus. It's important to realize that. So how do we prepare for this war? I'm, I'm going to just give you all some simple application. I believe that this, this church really wants to prepare you. A good leader is preparing people for this war. And one of the things we want to do, we want to give you good books to read. We have an office full of good books about Jesus to help you understand your faith, to grow in your faith, coming out to Bible study, sitting amongst the believers in Sunday service. These things we do on stage are not just so we can feel good about ourselves. It's so that we can defend our faith. Because the the battle doesn't start outside, it starts internally. That's why at the end of this book, uh, Paul says at the end of his life, his last statement, one of his last statements was, he says, I fought the good fight, I kept the faith. He understood the importance of keeping the faith close to himself, to understand it, to keep it pure. Because people were adding things on to it. They were saying you had to be circumcised. You would have to uh, add to this, uh, add to all these regulations. People were taken away from things, saying, man, Jesus ain't a deity. He didn't resurrect from the dead. The reality is we need to keep close and watch our lives and doctrine closely, church. That's why when Pastor Tripp teaches, I'm like, this, man, come on, brother, give me some of that, because I need this for my own soul first. When John preaches, I need this for my own soul. We need the Word of God. We need it to fight the war that's internal and external. So the life of a leader is a, is a, is a leader that fights for the faith in the midst of suffering. The next one is no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who listened to him. I love this. Um, one of the things, I, we got a lot of family that are, are, are in the service, me and my wife. Uh, we have so many family members that are in, in the military. And so one of the things I, I see, them when I go to their houses, they look like regular everyday people. They pay their bills. They got dogs. They got yards they cut. I mean, they do all that stuff. They, I mean, they, they, they drive pickup trucks. I mean, because they're from the South. Um, <laughs> they do all these things that regular people do. But when they're deployed, there's something changes. When they're, when, they're, when, they're at, when they're stationed, there's, there's something that's different about them. First of all, they're wearing the same thing every day. I mean, that's kind of weird to me sometimes. They're just wearing fatigue all the time. They, they, they're, they, they're carrying around rifles and assault rifles like their wallets or purses. There's something about their mentality, how they're focused. It's just completely different than the way they are when they're back here because they understand there's conflict going on. They understand that there's conflict going on. So they understand that they cannot be so caught up in civilian affairs, the regular everyday mundane things of life, but they understand there's a mission that God has them on. Well, the military at, this, at that point, but that's what I'm talking about. We have a mission. God has called us all to be soldiers. That's why he's using this analogy. He's calling the leaders of the church to be soldiers, to be singular focused, to understand that there's conflict going around, and we must prepare people to fight this war. Because one, he enlisted us. He chose us. And what did he chose us for? Because why, what did he choose us for? Because it was because of his purposes. Because we were created by God, for God. Created for his purpose, not our own selfish gain. 
We weren't created so we can just, just hang around and just have good, a good life, though he gives us a life and more abundantly. But he gives us much more. He gives us purpose. I don't know how you feel today, but I'm so glad I came to know Jesus. Because one thing I left when I got off my knees and I prayed to God to save my soul is I got a mission. And I'm going to tell you that mission is to preach the word of God. Not because I'm on here and I'm a pastor, but it was because I needed to go out and tell my friends. See, when I became a Christian, boy, one of the things I did, boy, I went out and told everybody about Jesus. Some of y'all know that story, don't (laughs) y'all? When you first come to know Jesus, like, man, boy, I didn't know Jesus died and came down on the cross for my sins. I didn't know he resurrected. Now I have new life, and I don't have to be entangled and ensnared by the sins I, I once was enslaved by. Man, you're going out there telling people about Jesus, the good news about who he is. What happened to that passion, I ask myself sometimes. I have to rehearse the gospel. I have to remind myself of the beauty of Jesus and that people need Jesus. We don't get caught up in civilian affairs. The next analogy, um, as we move on, is is the athlete. It's a beautiful analogy. I love this analogy because it's very common to the scripture. First of all, I'll just say this. I have some personality quirks. I do. Most of y'all, if y'all gotten to know me, y'all know one of the things I like to do is I like to pick on people. Amen? You know, some, some of y'all have faced that. I know y'all have. Don't y'all act like y'all want to amen that. That's truth. <laughs> and that's part of my dysfunctional way of just showing affection. I ain't even going to lie. I'm the, I'm the last child, and sometimes I just like to pick on my brother and sister. I, you know, I just like to do that. My wife knows. She get, I get on her nerves all the time with it. But I just like to pick with people. One of the people I like to pick with, and he's one of my boys, so he's going to make my first sermon, is John. <laughs> I love John. But one of the things I love about John is the fact that, man, he is a gym rat. I respect him because he always has these fitness goals. I mean, he always has, I mean, the boy's Jack. You can see it, man. He's big. So he's got to be doing something right. But so part of what I do is I love, I mean, I just live kind of vicariously through him. I love to hear him tell stories about like, man, yeah, I got this goal and whatnot. You know what I'm saying? You know, John, yeah, and I'm going to, um, <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, I'm like, that's so dope, John. That's so awesome, man. You're going to do this, man. Oh, yeah, I'm doing this. And yeah, I'm going to stop eating this. And I'm going to start doing this in the morning. I'm just, I love that about John. I'm kind of like, man, yeah, I'm with you, bro. I'm like listening to him like, dope. But one of the things I like to do is I like to pick with him when he, when he, when he makes mistakes, makes bad choices. Be real. John goes, he's, he's eating a, he goes get a whole box of candy. He just starts eating it one after another. I'm like, John, what are you doing, man? Come on, bro. You can't do that, man. You ain't going to reach your goal, bro. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> another thing he does, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he, another, he, he tells me about it. He goes out, and he, we'll go out to eat and something like that. And he just eats this giant burger. And I'm just like, John, what, what's going on, bro? I thought you was going to stop doing that, bro. Come on, what's up, dog? You know what I'm saying? He's like, man, I know. I'll just go to the gym extra hard. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. And I'm like, go ahead, John, you do that. I love that brother, man. But I think John re- realizes, just like an athlete in this, this text, that if he doesn't compete according to the rules, then he won't see the goals. He won't. He won't see the gains that he wants. <laughs> he won't see them. But I think that's the truth, though. In any athletic competition, the problem is, is that when people talk about athletics, we understand one rule. If people, one, athletes have to train hard. And one of the biggest things and one of the worst things after an athlete trains really hard is to get disqualified. Amen? Boy, man, Lolo Jones and the rest of them, boy, I'll be telling you. 
Marion, you know what I'm saying? Uh, what's her name? I can't remember her name. But there's so many people who have, I've seen been disqualified from uh, athletic competitions. It's one of the saddest sights in the world to see an athlete train so hard to get to the Olympics and then they, they step over a line. It's, it's amazing when I remember uh, back in the day, the Fab Five, Chris Webber and the Fab Five in Michigan, and, and he's dribbling down the court, and you see Chris Webber dribbling down the court, and they didn't have no timeouts, and then he, he calls that timeout. You're like, no! What are you doing, bro? <laughs> and you're mad, and you're frustrated with them, and you're just like, man, what happened? It's the same thing with our lives. See, when we talk about disqualification, I think that Paul was very clear in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 24 through 27, he talks about this race that he's running. He's talking about in the context of him sharing the gospel and proclaiming the good news to, to those who are lost. And he says this at the end of it. He talks about how when he preaches, he wants to preach in such a way and run in such a way and discipline his body in such a way as he runs this race of preaching the gospel that he won't be disqualified. Man, what we do with our lives and how we live our lives is essential it's essential as leaders. So many churches have been crushed with leaders who fall into some kind of scandal. Amen? One of my biggest fears, if you would ask me what my biggest fear as a, as a pastor is that I would fall into some moral sin, immoral sin. It would ruin the, 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 the validity of the gospel in so many people's lives. It would impact not just me, but the whole church. People will be looking at us, and we've seen this happen over and over again. People look at that fallen leader. See, that's what Christianity is all about. That's what Jesus is all about. No, Jesus isn't about that. He fell. And I'm not beating up those leaders. I'm not. Because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the reality is we know what it does to the witness of the gospel. So we have to watch our lives. That's why it says watch our lives and doctrine closely, what we believe closely. See, the, the thing about training and competing is that we all have to strive. We have to train ourselves. We have to discipline ourselves. Righteousness is, yes, we have Christ's righteousness, and we are saved by grace. And when Jesus sees us, you know, or when God sees us, they see Jesus' righteousness. But when we come to living out this Christian life, we have to strive. We have to put up some effort, not in our own power, because we don't have the power to do it. But God gives a free gift of what? Power and strength to live this Christian life. Amen? That's the beauty of it. Yes, we have to watch our lives and our teaching and what we believe about the Bible. Uh, uh, but guess what? It's Jesus who gives us the strength to, to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Man, the beauty of the gospel is we just look at the gospel and stare and, and be enamored with it. Man, it's something that just saturates us. When we look at the word of God and we soak it in, God, I just know I can't sin against this God. He's so beautiful. He's so amazing. And when I do, I have to repent quickly because he's so beautiful. He's so amazing. God is so beautiful. He's so amazing. Man, when I look at the gospel, man, my, my heart shudders. I'm like, a, I'm like my son when he sees his Christmas gifts. Oh, look at those. Oh, my gosh. I'm like when I saw my wife for the first time, and I was like, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I hope she likes me. <laughs> she didn't at first, but I want it over. 
So what are we saying? A leader is a one who's preparing himself, who's working, who's striving. The life of a leader is one who's working and preparing and striving to help others meet Jesus. And the last analogy is the farmer. It says a hardworking farmer ought to have the first, first share of his crops. Hardworking farmer. So you see, my, my wife, she's from the south. She's not country, she's southern. I want y'all to hear that. So she's correcting me time and time again. Don't call my wife country. She's southern. I make sure that's clear. She went to southern miss. She's southern. She's not country. She had one stoplight, but she's still southern in her hometown. I don't know how that works. But, she, but my wife, when she grew up, she didn't go to the store to buy vegetables. She didn't go to the store to buy vegetables. She got out of the garden. Mama said, go pick them peas. Go, pick, go get some greens out the, out the garden. She would tell her to go get her vegetables out the garden. So, so mama knew about gardening, at least for the, the and I'm not, I'm not, my wife, I, I didn't, she saw my sermon, so she knows what I was going to say. So I, I wanna, sorry. For the 38 years of my life, my wife has been living, her mother, she's known her mother to have a garden. Her mother's over 80 years old, and she still gets out there and gardens. She knows the work and the toil. For me, when I go to, to Mississippi and I go visit her, it's like a vacation. I'm like, Mama, look what I got. I got these, like, you know, like blueberries off the bush. Mama, look what I got. I got these figs off the bush. It's like vacation. But I have no idea how hard the work was. She knows the disappointments of the seasons. She's had to endure seeing, mm, I remember just talking to Mama. You sit there talking to Mama. Mama would be like, mm, them peas didn't do good this year. She'd be like, Mama, them greens didn't grow. My corn didn't grow like it's supposed to. That okra, man, it, it, it blossomed up. It grew up. I hope she don't listen to this. She's going to be mad at me. <laughs> but one of the things you realize is that when, even in Paul's ministry, he uses this, this analogy of agriculture, of gardening. When you talk about Jesus, even Jesus said the parable uh, uh, in the parable of the four soils, the, uh, the parable saying that the seed is the word of God and the soil is the hearts of men. He's talking about sowing the word. Even, even, even Paul said it. And he was like, um, um, Paul, when he talks about his ministry of the word, he said, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Even in this analogy, it's about sowing the word of God. Remember, it's the hook of the song. It keeps rehearsing over and over again. The ministry and the work that God has given is the ministry of the word. And it's hard work. And that word hard work doesn't a hard um. Uh, hard work doesn't mean just some like, man, I'm, at the end of the day, oh, I'm tired. It means exhaustion. It means marathon type exhaustion. It means there needs to be some longevity, some longevity, people. Gospel work and sowing the word of God in people's lives is not an overnight thing. It takes years after years for people to, to let's be real, it takes years and years for people to grow in the gospel. How about yourself? Where are you at right now? If you look at the Bible, how much you know about the Bible, how much are you living? How much is, is Jesus on your mind? What does your, your time and your quiet time look like? Are you even worshiping Jesus in your work? Is your quiet time just to make you feel good, or is it to, to make you see a beautiful Savior? Are you just having a pity party saying, oh, woe was me, I'm just a sinner, or is it leading you back to see this big, beautiful God who loves you? who gave his son on the cross for you. So that's what he's saying. But he says the hardworking farmer ought to have the 
first share of his crops. See, that might sound like it's a reward or a surprise, but one thing it is is this, it's, it's not a reward and a prize that we think it is. It's not like something that's going to future happen. It's not going to happen in the future, but it, but it happens now. We can't continue as Christians to believe that we can continue to preaching the word but not believe in the words that we preach. We have to eat of the... Listen, if the, if the, if the, if the hardworking farmer does not eat of his own crops, he'll waste away. He has to eat it. He has to continually eat the word of God, the Bible, in his life. He's got to have quiet times consistently. He has to have church, good church fellowship, be a member of a church that, that believes of, of the Bible and people are sowing into his life the word of God. John needs people in his life. He don't just get up here talking about, man, you know, I'm good. I'm, you know, but he needs the same gospel he preaches. We all do as pastors. So when we talk about leadership, he's talking about, man, you need the, you need the word yourself as a, as a pastor. I need the word of God as a pastor. So what is the life of a farmer or a leader that's a farmer? It consists of the gospel work sustained by the gospel. That's the truth of the matter. But I like this last verse as I close. He says this. I love verse 7. It says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is a, a beautiful closing to the section. I love this. He's like, man, think it over. That means ponder. Continue to think these things over. He's giving Timothy grace in these words. Man, I know these things are hard to hear. And if you look at your life and you try to mirror your life, this is what he wants Timothy to do, is mirror his life upon, uh, about the leader that he's describing. If, you, if I look at my life, I'm saying, I don't fit all of this. I, I might live in despair, but he's saying, think them over, ponder them. He says, ponder them. You don't have to get it right today, but you need to be working towards it. I think the, the life of a Christian is one of striving, working towards the goal. Not just sitting idly waiting for the goal to catch us. This is a beautiful uh, passage because what he's saying here is says, the Lord will give you understanding. It's a promise. And someday, God, everything will make sense. Let me be real. Your suffering, the things you do here on earth do count. They do count. All the work you put in of sowing the word in your friend, in your mother, or your, your grandfather, or somebody in your, in your life, or a co-worker, it's going to make sense. At the end of our days, my prayer is that the more I sow the word of God into my sons, it's going to yield fruit. I believe that. It's going to make sense. All the suffering. <laughs> it's suffering. Man, he's looking at me now. He's like, man, what you talking about, daddy? It's suffering. It's a promise. Well, let me leave you with these, uh, uh, these, these, these four things. One, first, is, uh, I did a little alliteration. I got some D's and an L. I couldn't get four D's. I only got three D's and an L, so work with me. <laughs> One is dependence. Where are you finding your strength day to day? Are you sitting at Jesus' feet? Are you drinking from the well of the word daily? Are you finding your strength in the gospel Guess what? Because you'll know if you're finding your strength in the gospel because you'll be doing things that are supernatural. And that doesn't mean something mystical. That means you'll be loving people deeply. You'll be taking care of the needs of others. And that work is exhausting. You'll be preaching the gospel to others. And that is exhausting. Determination. 
through the suffering. It's going to be hard roads ahead, y'all. It, all, it is for all of us. We'll see people die. We'll, we'll see people suffer. We'll suffer ourselves. But are you determined? Are you determined because you know the, the, the goal ahead, what you get in heaven. I love that, 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 that language of crown that he used. I didn't get to it earlier because I wanted to save it for here. When, G, when, when Paul, at the end of his life, he says, he's like, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And now sort of for me in heaven is a crown of righteousness. That the prize ahead is, is better than what we get here. Do you believe that? Do you believe what we get in heaven is better than what we get here on earth? We get to be with Jesus. See him as he is. If that doesn't excite your heart, then, then what are you living for? What's your prize? Jesus should be the Christian's prize at the end of their life. It's Paul's prize. It should be ours. Then destination, again, is the reward. It's a reward that we get ahead of us, not what we get here. And then lead. This is the most practical part. This is the most practical one. It's lead. Tell somebody everything you know about the Bible. Teach somebody. It's practical. Who are you pouring your life into? What Bible study are you being a part of? Who are you encouraging with God's word? Is that a mark of your life? Because it should be a mark of a leader. If that's not a characteristic of your pastors, then I think you should question it. Yeah. How come we're, who are you sharing with, Mo? Question me about it. But at the same time, we need to be sowing the word of God into people's lives. I need to be teaching somebody everything that I know about the Bible. And you do too. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for what you've given us, God, your word. You've given us the ministry of your word, Lord. You said you've given us the ministry of reconciliation, God. That we would proclaim your gospel to the ends of the earth. God, thank you for this grace that you've given us to empower and give us strength to do this work, God. Father, let us be a soldier. Let us be an athlete. Let us be a farmer, Father, as you've described in your word. Lord, help us. Give us strength to do those things. God, I pray over this church, Lord, that we will be a church that is a church of your word, that people would sow into each other's uh, lives the word of God, that we would all feel like we have the responsibility to tell somebody about Jesus even outside of this church. Lord, if there's some person who does not know you, Father, I pray, Lord, my, my preaching and what I've said, Lord, with pierce their heart, Lord, not me, but your word, Father, and that you have changed their lives from death to life. But Father, I pray, God, if there's somebody that doesn't know, that they will come up and, and, and talk to us, the pastors, and not be ashamed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.